Welcome to Antibodies. This is our 18th episode in the Immunology 101 series, a segment where we teach immunology. Joining me today are our two new co-hosts, Ash Gardner and Koshika Yadova. Let me introduce Ash and Koshika. Ash is currently a postdoctoral fellow at the Jackson Laboratory in Maine, and Koshika is an immunologist based in Basel, Switzerland. How are you both doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. This is awesome. And I would like to let everybody know for all for those in the audience wondering what happened to our OG host Natalie. Well, you'd be happy to know that Natalie is in the final phase of her PhD and she's taking this time off from podcasting to focus on graduation. So let's wish her all the luck and learn a thing or two about T cells in the episode today. Oh, before we move ahead, can you quickly review the last episode, Jatin? For sure. Uh, in the last episode, we talked about the following things. Um, after leaving the thymus, naive T-cells are in constant circulation until they encounter their cognate antigen. Finding the antigen is the first part of the T-cell activation process. The whole process requires three signals. There are These three signals are first, signal one, in the form of the T-cell receptor and the MHC interaction. Signal 2 is in the form of co-stimulation from the antigen-presenting cells. And signal 3 is in the form of soluble messengers called cytokines. We also learned that a variety of cells can function as antigen-presenting cells. This includes macrophages, B-cells, and dendritic cells, with dendritic cells being the most potent antigen-presenting cells. Thanks, Jatin. That was super helpful. Before we start our discussion today, do you guys want a good laugh? Oh, yes. Let's go. Sure. <laughs> Why was the T-cell mad at influenza? Why? Why? It was interferon with normal breathing. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I think our joke levels have gone a little bit better than before. <laughs> well, now you have two new hosts to help you out. We got the, well. We uh, actually all the good jokes were usually usually from Natalie. <laughs> Anything that sucked it was usually me. So I'm really glad I've got two more people helping me. Anyway, uh, let's continue from where we left off in the last episode. Uh, we've got a circulating naive T cell that has received the signal one and two from a dendritic cell. One aspect of this engagement is that. It often takes place inside secondary lymphoid organs, like the lymph nodes. For now, let's assume this T-cell received a signal 1 and 2 from a dendritic cell it found hanging out in a unique area of the lymph node called the T-cell zone. It's this T-cell zone where many clones of dendritic cells will be looking for the right T-cell to come along and interact with them. When such an interaction takes place, the T-cell upregulates pro-survival genes like BCL2 and also upregulates certain cytokines, one of them being interleukin-2 and the receptor for the cytokine, interleukin-2 receptor alpha chain. 
So if your inner circle includes a number of immunologists, you may also call the IL-2 receptor alpha chain by its other name, which is CD25. Yeah, true. But again, only if you are in that inner circle, normies should stick to the interleukin-2 receptor alpha chain. Anyway, <laughs> both, both interleukin-2 signaling and the BCL-2 have a unique role to play in this activated T-cell's life. The BCL-2 will help the T-cells survive longer, while the interleukin-2 that this T-cell or any neighboring T-cell produces will act on freshly produced high-affinity interleukin-2 receptor chains to help the T-cell proliferate. This combined effect of better survival and proliferation leads to this T-cell generating many clones in the next four or five days. So you're saying that the activated T-cells is upregulating these pro-survival factors. But does that mean that the cell was more prone to program cell death before activation, when it was just a little poor old circulating naive T-cell? Actually, the naive T-cell can live for several months, which is fairly long for an immune cell. Uh, the reason activated T-cells need to upregulate these pro-survival genes and the naive cells do not is because the, this whole process of activation is inherently built around making these T-cells more prone to program cell death unless they continue to receive the stimulation and continue making these pro-survival genes. Since stimulation is dependent on the presence of the antigen, the process makes sure that the T-cells start disappearing or dying as the source of antigen is remo removed. But if the T-cells die as the pathogen is cleared, how do we get long-lasting immunity if this pathogen was to reinfect the body later? Well, the progeny of this activated T-cell can be broadly divided into two types of cells. There's the memory cell and the effector cell. The effector cells are terminally differentiated. On the other hand, we have memory cells that are long-lived and do not need antigenic stimulation to survive. So to answer your question, it is these memory cells that are going to provide the long-lasting protection. For now, we will just be focusing on the effector cells. So could you elaborate on what you mean when you say effector cells are terminally differentiated? Yes, sure. So terminally differentiated cells are at the end of their lineage, and they typically do not divide too much. And of course, they do not differentiate into any, anything downstream. Effector cells are essentially the foot soldiers of the immune system, and they directly aid in this fight against the pathogens. So all this makes sense, but can we talk about how they join this fight against the pathogen? Yes, for sure. Um, effector cells from both the helper and cytotoxic side of the T-cell lineages are involved here. Let's start with the activated cytotoxic T-cells, or cytotoxic T-lymphocytes as we call them. These cells will leave the secondary lymphoid organs after activation, and they will circulate to sites of infection where they will directly kill the infected cells. The effector T helper cells can also travel to the sites of infection or stay in the secondary lymphoid organ and do the helping part by secreting cytokines. So again, we've got the uh, cytotoxic lymphocytes that are directly killing, and we have got these helpers that are, well, helping in a lot of ways, one of which is secreting cytokines. And these cytokines can enhance the activity of the macrophages at the site of infection. These cytokines can also help B cells in the secondary lymphoid follicles 
in producing better antibodies against pathogens. Yeah, just to add here that CDA T cells also secrete cytokines. So this is not a unique property of helper T cells. Yes, thanks a lot for mentioning that. Also, T helper cells do more than just secrete cytokines. As I said before, they are involved in contact-dependent activation of B cells. And they're also required for the activation of CD8 positive or the cytotoxic T cells themselves. So you can see how helper T cells are sitting at the top of this hierarchy in the immune system. And apart from uh, these functional differences between the helper and the cytotoxic T cells, we should also note that the T helper cells are a lot more diverse than the cytotoxic T cells. Yeah, that's right. When we think about CD4 T cells, we think of lymphocytes that are able to secrete cytokines depending on the pathogens they encounter. And these T cells have a specific lineage and they express specific transcription factors. However, this view of T cells was not always like this. So a few decades back, it was thought that all the T cells could produce everything everywhere all at once. But it was really Mossman and Kaufman's research, which was in the late 1980s, uh, where they showed that the individual clones of CD4 T cells did not make all the cytokines, but they fell into two categories, Th1 and Th2 cells. Now, these results were really a turning point for immunologists and T cell biologists. However, as easy as it sounded, Th1 and Th2 cell populations could only be defined in vitro in a system where you can control everything, so all the variables. But later, in vivo studies suggested that CD4 T cells could adopt more than two sulfates, which was obviously great for us. But in fact, we know that there are T cells that acquire more, even more fates. And it really depends on who you talk to. <laughs> can be six, can be 10, can be you know infinite. And there is definitely a certain level of plasticity as well that we'll talk about later. So what do we know about the drivers of this diversity? So when we when we talk about the APCs, you know, sensing the pathogen and presenting the antigen to the T cells, they also produce polarizing cytokines that will act on T cells. Now, let's come back to the three signals that we spoke about in the previous episode, right? So three signals of T cell activation. You have the first two signals that are provided by the APC, antigen and the co-stimulation. Now, both of these signals together affect the strength of the TCR signaling, which can in fact, in fact affect the diversity of the T-cell response. But really, by far, what we know most about what drives the heterogeneity of T-helper cell responses is the polarizing cytokines and how they impact T-cell function. So the polarizing cytokines produced by APCs, but also other cytokines that might be in the tissue microenvironment. So you said that uh, essentially the sensing of the pathogen by the APC is what drives the cytokine cytokine production. But how does this work? How does the APC sense the pathogen? Uh, yeah, so this happens through the recognition of pathogen-associated molecular patterns, or PAMs, as we call them for short, uh, by pathogen receptor recognition receptors, which are expressed by antigen-presenting cells. So for instance, if you have a virus which infects uh, dendritic cells and it has a double-stranded uh, RNA, uh, this viral nucleic acid will be sensed by TLR3, which is expressed by dendritic cells. This will result in a signaling cascade and that will lead to the production of IL-12, which will then promote TH1 differentiation. On the other hand, if you have a parasitic infection, you have IL-4 that is going to be produced and this is going to direct the differentiation of TH2 cells. 
That sounds great. And you know, it, it makes sense that if you have a viral infection, you want to make something that will act against the viruses. Uh, so yeah, so far, it, it's not like there's one remedy for everything, right? The immune system mm-hmm. is specialized here. Yeah. So apart from all these functional differences, um, how can how else can we distinguish between the different T helper subsets? So each of the major T cell subset is characterized by three factors. So we can think about it firstly in, in, in as this set of cytokines that direct the T cell fate. Uh, after that, we can think about each subset as defined by a master gene regulator. So this regulator controls the expression of genes that are specific to that subset of T cells and is responsible for directing the dif- differentiation process. And finally, each T helper cell subset produces a signature set of effector cytokines. That's what we mentioned before once it's fully differentiated. Now, these effective cytokines are the molecules that carry out the specific functions of T, each T helper cell subset. How many T helper cell subsets do we have? As I said before, <laughs> it depends on who you ask, right? Everybody has their favorites. Uh, but just to keep it simple, uh, let's talk about the main six different type of T cell subsets that we know so far. So TH1, TH2 that we mentioned already, TH9, TH17, T follicular helper cells, and T regulatory uh, helper cells as well. Now, each of these subsets has a particular role for the development and resolution of the inflammatory process. So I see you've got these tons of uh, helper T cell subsets. I'm wondering if there's any communication and interaction between these subsets. Yeah, so it really depends on the pathogen and the inflammatory cues. We could have the coexistence of all these different subsets. So, for instance, TH2 and TH9 subsets coexist when you have a parasitic infection. And also, there is a kind of interesting cross-regulation between different subsets. Uh, What I mean by that is that a subset can secrete cytokines that promote the expansion and differentiation, while it inhibits the commitment to other T-helper cell lineages. And this is really often seen when you look at TH1 and TH2 differentiation as well as for TH17 and Treg subsets. So let's talk a little bit more about the biology of these T-cell subsets. The first subsets we are going to discuss are the TH1 and TH2. The differentiation of naive T-cells into TH1 cells requires interleukin-12 and interleukin-18, cytokines that are mainly produced by dendritic cells. Now, these polarizing cytokines induce the expression of the master regulator TBET, and this transcription factor, in turn, induces expression of type 1 effector cytokines, such as interferon gamma and tumor necrosis factor, TNF-alpha, as, as we call it for short. So when we're talking about the three identification criteria for T-helper subsets, we have all of them here. Uh, first, we have the polarizing cytokines, which in this case are IL-12 and IL-18. Second, we got this master regulator gene TBET. And third, we have the effector cytokines that the subset will produce, which here is interferon gamma and the TNF-alpha. Yeah, brilliantly summarized. Uh, that's a very good way to remember this. And now I understand that the TBET is there to maintain the identity of the T-cells. Uh, tell me something about the effector cytokines and what are their roles? What's this interferon gamma doing here? Is it interferon with something? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can definitely say it's interfering with something, which is helping us out. Uh, 
So interferon gamma can activate macrophages and promote antigen presentation as well by upregulation of class two molecules. Uh, in B cells, interferon gamma can induce an antibody class switching to IgG, which is an antibody uh, that supports phagocytosis and activation of the complement. And finally, interferon gamma can promote the activation and differentiation of cytotoxic CD8 T cells by the activation of dendritic cells that engage naive CD8 T cells. So that's all for Th1 today. So let's go to the Th2 cells. The polarizing cytokine is IL-4. Activated T cells exposed to IL-4 will ac activate a transcription program that includes the expression of the master gene regulator GATA3, G-A-T-A-3, which in turn regulates expression of type 2 cytokines, including IL-4, IL-5, and IL-13. Now, these cytokines are related to the differentiation, activation, and migration of eosinophils and activation of B cells, amongst other functions. Now, these two sub subtypes, the Th1 and Th2, were known for many years as the only two types of T helper cells described. However, with incoming research in the T cell fields, we know that there are many more subsets and new types of polarizations have been described. One of these T cell subsets is the T helper 17 cells, and the T helper 17 cells are generated when naive T cells are exposed to TGF beta, interleukin 6, and interleukin 23. Oh my goodness, it sucks that there are so many of these cytokines involved. It sucks for somebody who's studying for an immunology exam, but not for somebody whose immune system is responding. <laughs> so in a way, this di diversity is really important because it's required to deal with all the different pathogens that we're encountering, right? So we, it's not like every pathogen requires the same response. So this ability of our immune system to be able to respond in these many different ways helps us counteract all the different infections that we eventually get in our lives. Anyway, let's come back to the TH17 cells. And I swear this is going to be the last weird transcription factor that I'll be talking about today. So the transcription factor associated with T helper 17 cells is called ROR gamma T, R-O-R gamma T. And the effective cytokine is IL-17. The function of this T cell subset is still being investigated as the subtype is slightly more complicated than TH1 and TH2 cells, and definitely more recent. For today, let's not talk about more specific T helper subtypes. I think we've all had our fill. <laughs> but let's focus more on the broader concepts of T cell effector functions. Yeah, I, I really like that idea. <laughs> broader concepts. <laughs> but while we were talking about the different types of T helper cells, I was wondering how they all work together. Are all of these subtypes inflammatory? You said there were some regulatory subtypes also. Exactly. So the answer is no. In fact, uh, there is a specific T-cell subtype that has been described to negatively regulate T-cell responses, and they have, a high, they have a very important role in peripheral tolerance. So this subset is called the regulatory T-cell, or the T-reg for short, not to be mistaken for the T-rex, which is a dinosaur. The T-reg can be uh, further divided into thymic T-reg and peripheral T-reg. Thymic Treg are generated in the thymus, and the peripheral Tregs are generated when naive cells are activated in the presence of certain factors. So what Tregs do can be described by this fancy term called immune modulation. It means that Tregs will modulate our immune system, and they are in many ways uh, the ones that really regulate uh, or dampen immune responses, which they do by secreting effective cytokines or by you know, consuming other cytokines that might be required by other cells, but they don't get activated and uh, act in the same way as effective cells do. So 
we can basically find the T-cell of all flavors here. And I, I like that we actually touched upon the T-Rex. Uh, maybe one day we'll have a very detailed episode on T-Rex. But for now, yeah, for now, let's let's just stick to our overall very generalized idea. Uh, I have a random question here. Can all these T cells help B cells? Because we we said helper T cells uh, help B cells. So does that mean all of these helper T cells can help B cells? Well, I mean, all T cells can interact with B cells. Does, does that mean that they actually affect the B cell function? That's a different question. So in earlier days, it was thought that T helper subtypes uh, in charge of helping B cells with the TH2 subsets, right? So they, you know, we know that TH2 subsets express uh, IL-4 and this can help in cloth switching. You can have IgE production and so on. But, uh, but really, when we're talking about germinal center reactions supporting B cells there functionally, there is a new T helper subset, which is the T follicular helper cell subset, which does this job. So the function is in the name, T follicular helper cells. So they help in the follicles, really, where the B cells are. Well, learning about the T helper cell subsets, it's it's both exciting and daunting just because there's so many of these. Yeah, there are just so many, right? I mean, is there anything else we should know about these? So if you're thinking it's complicated now, though, let me tell you something. <laughs> T helper cells have very dynamic phenotypes. I think Koshika mentioned it earlier, but these cells are plastic. Hey, I've heard those things are not good for the environment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that kind of plastic. I mean, they're not as rigid and stuck in their ways as, say, metal-like muscle cells or neurons. For a short time after a Th1 cell is polarized, it can be exposed to Th2 polarizing cytokines that can cause it to express the typical Th2 cytokine, IL-4. The reverse can also happen, though. So if Th2 cells are exposed to the right environmental cues, they can be induced to express interferon gamma. So is that kind of like when an ice hockey player takes off his skates and puts on soccer shoes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the cell is releasing different cytokines or wearing different clothes, if you will, when it's more relevant to the current environment. Th17 cells and Tregs are even more plastic than Th1 and Th2. So even when Th17 or Tregs are committed to their lineage, they can change their cytokine expression based off of environmental cues. Yeah, there are studies that show that a lot of this is kind of like epigenetically regulated. So, for instance, when a T cell commits to a Th1 lineage, you know, epigenetically, it'll make the Th2 and Th17 genes inaccessible. And a similar thing happens when a T cell commits to a Th2 lineage, when other parts of the uh, genome are made inaccessible. However, commitment to Th17 lineage doesn't really cause the Th1 and Th2 genes to be blocked off. And maybe this partly explains why Th17 cells are more plastic than Th1 and Th2 types. Yeah, that's definitely possible. One line of thinking also is that the, th cell, the T cell polarization states are not really distinct, but that they actually lie on, on a spectrum. And so if you're interested in learning more about this perspective, you can check out BuddySode 19 with Dr. Evgeny Kiner, which is titled A New Spin to T cell Flavors. Okay, so we have talked a lot about T cells and their different lineages. Uh, let's get down to what do these T cells do to protect protect us against the pathogens? Yeah, perhaps the most important <laughs> question, right? Like, what do they do for us? 
<laughs> Each tea helper subset protects against pathogens in a unique but sort of overlapping way. So to start at the beginning, the as Koshika mentioned earlier, the T follicular helper cells in the lymph node will provide help to B cells. Um, we'll also talk about this process more on our upcoming Immunology 101 episodes, uh, where we'll go more into B cell uh, function and uh, polarization and how they're activated. But essentially, an antigen-specific T helper cell and a B cell that's specific to the same antigen, they make contact with each other through an immune synapse. So I have to ask, what's an immune synapse? Well, it's a point of contact between two cells, at least one of which is an immune cell. This synapse can help in cellular interactions and in the killing of infected cells, depending on the participants in the synapse. A quick sidestep, we recently talked with Dr. Cosima Baldari from the University of Siena about her work on how SARS-CoV-2 disrupts the immune synapse machinery on cytotoxic T-cells. All the listeners should go check that out. So getting back on topic, when a synapse is formed between a T follicular helper cell and a B cell, the interaction helps the B cell in not one, not two, not even three ways, but seven different ways. Again, which we'll talk about in this upcoming episode. The other T helper cell subsets also have specialized roles in the immune response. So Th1 cells are involved with cell-mediated immunity. They can support and activate macrophages and cytotoxic T cells through both the release of cytokines and through cell-to-cell interactions. They're often associated with a response against intracellular pathogens. TH2 cells, on the other hand, are often associated with extracellular pathogens, and they support the humoral immune response through the release of IL-4, IL-5, and IL-13. This kind of response is really important for protection against helminths, but underlies our allergic response as well. So if you have bad allergies, you can blame your TH2 cells. The other main TH helper cell subtype, TH17 cells, are important for both intracellular and extracellular pathogens. TH17 cells are really important for protection against pathogens at mucosal barriers. However, they have also been implicated as pathogenic effector cells in some common autoimmune diseases, such as multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, and inflammatory bowel disease. Okay, so each subset of the helper cells play a specific role during infection and inflammation. Is it possible that the wrong T-cell T cell gets called for during an inflammatory event? Yeah. Actually, the balance of the T-helper cell subsets can determine the clinical outcome of someone with an infection or with a disease. Take leprosy, for example. Leprosy is caused by bacteria called Mycobacterium leprae. There are two main forms of leprosy, tuberculoid leprosy and lepromatous leprosy. These two forms relate directly back to the type of T-helper cell response that the bacteria elicits. So tuberculoid leprosy is less severe and is associated with a TH1 response that drives a cell-mediated attack with the infection. While the patients with tuberculoid leprosy do have damage to their skin and nerves, there is less overall disease burden than in individuals that develop lepromatous leprosy. During lepromatous leprosy, a TH2 response predominates, 
and cell-mediated immunity is suppressed. The humoral response attempts to make up for that deficit in protection, but this sometimes results in hypergamma globulinemia, or a very high level of immunoglob- immunoglobulin. All these big words. <laughs> However, the humoral response alone is not enough, and the infection continues to spread, which causes substantial bone, cartilage, nerve, and skin damage. There are also examples of pathogens that can manipulate this balance of T helper cell subsets um, in order to evade the immune response. And these pathogens include HIV and Epstein-Barr virus, as well as others. But ultimately, the type of T helper cell that respond during an infection is crucial for proper control of that infection. You know, we have learned about how the specific, uh, specific T cell subsets are classified. And we have also looked at this one example of how a wrong T-cell helper subside being activated can result in a completely different clinical outcome. Now, can we talk about memory T-cells and how they contribute? (laughs) (laughs) There is so much information packed in our discussion today. What do you say that we stop here and pick up memory T-cells in the next episode? I completely agree with Ash. We will definitely remember to do that. Uh, That being said, uh, how can we summarize the discussion today? So today we talked about how naive T-cells require three important signals for T-cell activation and differentiation. The first is the TCR, and the second is the co-stimulatory signal, which we've talked about previously. But the effector fate is dependent on the third signal, polarizing cytokines. Depending on which polarizing cytokines the T-cells are exposed to, they can differentiate into a wide variety of T-helper cells, including Th1, Th2, and Th17, but also Tregs, T-follicular helper cells, and uh, the new Th9 subset. Each T-helper cell subtype is characterized by the polarizing cytokines that act on the T-cell. The expression of master transcriptional regulator that promotes the T-helper cell phenotype and the secretion of the effector cytokines. T-cells can differentiate into effector cells, but also into memory cells, which we'll touch upon in the memory T-cell episode uh, next. Well, as much as I would like to to talk about memory T-cells today, I think this would be a good point to wrap up our discussion. There's a lot of information and a lot of different cytokines that are involved here. Yeah, I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of details and usually we want to minimize the details in, in the episodes. I think this is, we, we have sat, get saturated for this one. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, Ash and Koshika, for this wonderful discussion. For our audience, if you're interested to know more about our science communication endeavors, please check out antibodies.org. You can find our blogs, journal clubs, and podcasts there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies one at gmail.com. With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye. See you.